Hi everyone, welcome to Useful Idiots, Calling Useful Idiots, the call-in show for Useful Idiots. Uh, we're so excited to be here with you. We're going to take your calls and your questions. We already have some callers in here. I'm Katie Halper, joined by Aaron Mate. This is the Useful Idiots call-in show. Make sure you subscribe to Useful Idiots uh, Substack. That's usefulidiots.substack.com. And uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, like our streams, and um, tweet this out. Tweet out that you're in this great um, call-in. So we're going to take our first caller, Will. Hey, gang. Hey. Uh, so, yeah, I just wanted to thank you for the uh, Michael Hudson, the thing you posted. Um, watched it on Substack twice. I actually, first thing I did was order his book and read a good chunk of it over the weekend uh, when I wasn't watching the final episodes of Ozark. <laughs> I think Aaron mentioned he watched it. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, no yeah, spoilers. I, no spoilers. Yeah, no, 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 no spoilers. Um, so anyway, I read his book um, and it helped me piece together some things. So I just wanted to kind of report back um, to a question I'd asked last week, which was, you know, what's China's end game in all this? And, um, Michael brought up some good points. And so I just kind of wanted to comment on that and then get some feedback. Um, but the thing, the basic point of his book, and this is something that I was trying to piece together myself is that basically the U S foreign economy, the U S has weaponized, um, both the IMF and the world bank. Uh, and they use it kind of like a loan shark, or almost like payday loans. So when we think of our deficit, we all often think, oh, we're going to have to pay it back or it's coming from our tax money. But it's actually leveraged against these foreign powers. So that contextualizes and makes sense of why the U.S. has these different departments that go and do regime change other places. It's often to enforce or to, um, to have this be the case. So similar to how the British and their empire would send in missionaries to areas they wanted to take over, knowing those missionaries would be killed and then they could move in. So like the British East India Company, they did that in India and other areas. The U.S. does that financially by going in and wiping out local economies and then sending in the IMF and the World Bank. So that was one thing. And then with that goes to, so to bring this full circle and get to my question, um, the, in Europe, they've done the same thing with NATO now trying to, um, tank the the Nord Stream pipeline to make um, Europe and NATO um, rely on U.S. liquid natural gas that they're shipping over there. So this has been coming out now. They're going to be building these giant ports and do other things to do that. And this brings me to the question last week, which is, okay, what's that's what the U.S. is doing and and switching NATO. What's China's endgame? So I couldn't figure out recently, I was reading in Wall Street Journal and other places that my brother's an economist, by the way, um, who teaches at DePaul, and I do cybersecurity, um, international cybersecurity for in relation to the war and other things. But I couldn't figure out why um, the Chinese were largely building, um, had been on this rampage lately, building um, embassies and other things in foreign countries and doing social work. So getting to Michael Hudson's point, the idea is that the U.S., uh, again, leveraging the IMF and the World Bank, has all these countries in debt. And what's what I think is going to happen in China's endgame is that they are building these embassies, foreign countries. They're going to go to those countries to undermine the dollar. They're going to say, okay, forget your debt to the U.S. We'll take care of you. Uh, if they do that, then the U.S. economy and this foreign debt, which has been funded by the Treasury, will just fold. 
So it'll be like the 2008 collapse that Matt Taibbi covered, but on a global scale. And so I guess my question to you guys, too, is do you think there's some weight to that analysis, the things Michael Hudson was saying? And do you think that that may be the Chinese endgame, which is largely to undermine U.S. currency? It's the same thing we did to the British um, in after World War II. And Hudson brings this up in his book. He says that uh, basically what we did was you know, the U.S. dollar replaced the pound sterling. And um, so we've done the same thing of enforcing this foreign debt. But then we also enforce, tar- enforce tariffs. And this is the thing with Gatineff. I didn't realize that we're enforcing these tariffs so that they can't pay us back. So it's sort of a loan shark that can't be paid back. And that, again, this is maybe the Chinese endgame. And I wanted to see if you guys think that may be the case. OK, the problem here is I don't have the intellectual capacity to answer your question. Okay. So I'm going to offer you instead of menu. So I can offer you in, in lieu of an answer. I can do a rendition of Nina Jankowitz singing the Mary Poppins song. Okay. Yeah. We can redo Katie. What we did last week where we, we did a riff on tears are not enough. The Canadian right. charity song. Okay. Yeah. Anything else. And also we can do, or we can do a, a rendition of uh, Tim Cannon, the membrane. Right. That's what we can offer you. Will. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm still still part of the the Katie fan uh, nerd nerd crush fan club. Well, oh, great. I'm glad we didn't. Lo- I'm glad my intellect our intellectual deficiency didn't cost. Uh, <laughs> no, no, know. that's still that's still good. That's still going. So. All right. Great. Yeah. 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 Well, but, sorry. I just I just you know like uh, I really appreciate you sharing all this, and um, it's really interesting. It's just it's just above my wheelhouse. I just it, it's not what I know anything about, and that's why we you know. We brought up Michael Hudson because of you know people like you were suggesting speaking to to him and, and people with that perspective and it's a really important aspect of this conflict but it's just it's not something that I have anything novel or insightful or even knowledgeable to to offer on. But don't okay. you appreciate the honesty that we you know we could give you a bullshit answer, <laughs> but we don't do I that. I do appreciate that. I do right. We we bring we bring you the experts. <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate. I just appreciate you putting them up, and I watch it twice on Substack, and it's just That's like super fun. informative to just. I feel like you know tie these different pieces together in the larger picture. And yeah, it also helps contextualize the last thing I was going to say because I would you know you want to get to other people, but the thing like with Donziger and what's going on with Chevron and these other things is that you know the U.S. economy and again this using weaponizing the IMF and the World Bank and all this stuff. It's it's largely based. It's financially based, but it's mm-hmm. also based on these these energy and the other things that are going on. So yeah. And well, I have a question. Uh, the name of his book that you got is, is, is Super Imperialism? Is it yep. that book? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which I haven't read, but apparently it's it's a classic. And uh, it was written first, I think, in the 70s. In the 70s. But he's, yep. but he's updated it now several times. Yeah. So that, that's the first. The person asking him, yeah, that's the name of the book. <laughs> he yeah, also. 2021 uh, uh, edition. Introduction he did. Okay, yeah. cool. Also, not to. to little spoiler alert, but he has a new book coming out and, and you're going to be able to catch him, Michael Hudson on the Katie Halper show live. So you can ask questions there. Oh, good. Yeah. Do you subscribe to the Katie Halper show on YouTube? I do. All right. Good. So you won't lose that. All right. (laughs) Everyone else can do that at youtube.com slash the Katie Halper show. All right. Thanks guys. Yeah. I'll hit them with some questions. Great. Thank you. Okay. Ivana. Hi, Katie. Hi, Aaron. Hi. Um, good to talk to you again. 
thanks for taking my call. Um, I was wondering if you had any more thoughts on recent uh, uh, PayPal uh, banning of consortium news and now Mint Press news from their platform and similar to what they did years ago um, with WikiLeaks. And then the other thing I wanted to ask was um, with this new disinformation Ouija board or whatever it is, um, is it clear who's going to be on that board? Because I, I feel like Nina Jankowicz, I mean, who cares about her? It's more like who is going to be working on this board should probably inform us on what they were going to do. Um, and it sounds to me like it's going to be something similar to, you know, how when the Obama administration was trying to figure out how to legally go after uh, WikiLeaks. So it seems like this is another sort of like working group trying to figure out how to legally shut down um, outlets. So like within the constraints of the Constitution, but basically, you know, trying to figure out like legal ways to do that. Do, do you think that's what's happening or is it more or less nefarious? I think that's very fair speculation. Of course, it's only speculation at this point, but I think that's totally a fair concern. But, you know, as I said on the Monday morning show, I think another tool is that they're just going to try to find creative ways to stigmatize people, to make people untouchable, you know, so that if you are reading Consortium News or Mint Press or whatever else, then you're engaging with possible Russian disinformation. You know, they'll, they'll find sneaky ways to basically stigmatize people and scare people into not reading dissident websites. That's, I think, another way. Because, you know, I do think in this country, despite the case of Julian Assange right now, I mean, it's making a complete mockery of free speech. But otherwise, there is some respect for free speech. There is. And there is some legal protection for it. It is a serious thing here. So I think they'll have a hard time legally finding ways to uh, you know, ban people. But for example, I mean, w- what they can do is if you, if the government has some sneaky way of declaring some site to be off limits, then uh, powerful companies like PayPal can follow suit and then use that themselves mm-hmm. to cut people off as is happening now with Consortium News. And for people who, who missed it, Consortium News, which is a, a great website founded by the late Robert Perry, who is a legendary journalist, broke a whole series of stories um, they recently had their PayPal account seized and uh, based on uh, gr- on grounds that, that are not clear to me. Um, and, or to them. Yeah, or to them. They and basically, I read this morning that the uh, same thing happened to Mint Press News. Yep, same yeah. thing happened to Mint Press. The, the email from PayPal to Consortium News says this, you can't use PayPal anymore. We noticed activity in your account that's inconsistent with our user agreement and we no longer offer you PayPal services because of potential risk exposure. We've permanently limited your account. You will no longer be able to use the account for any transactions. And they're even, they even might take the remaining balance that is in the consortium news account. So whatever balance, yeah, which is something like thousands of like $7,000 or something. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's also like what I wanted to ask you is, isn't it time maybe to like kick it up a notch and like go, on the offensive because it feels like, I mean, everybody's doing reporting on it and not, not everybody, like your, your sort of um, um, 
you know, kind of small circle of, of uh, reporters that are doing really good reporting, but I think, you know, you are being attacked. So like, it, it isn't a time to like go on the offensive and start, you know, uh, connecting with, um, you know, lawyers and legal, you know, uh, organizations that could uh, file lawsuits like libel lawsuits or something where you could maybe discover some new information or something like that. I don't know. I feel like this isn't just about, you know, um, yeah, it, it isn't just about like watching and, uh, and uh, like you are the story here in essence, you know. Well, I mean, that's up for consortium news and press to decide because they're the ones being attacked right now. I mean, uh, you know, sure, Nina but Jankowicz, you've been the target of, uh, of uh, you know, these smears and you've been, uh, you know, uh, like your your outlet, the gray zone has been, you know, basically taken off Wikipedia and, you know, similar things. So it is sort of like a concerted effort. Yeah, sure. Sure. I mean, look, all like, again, it's a question of what you want to do with your time. Do you want to spend your time doing journalism or do you want to spend your time fighting attacks? And you have to, you know it's a balance and you know, I'd rather spend my time doing journalism. And so um, it's, it's a question of time. And if we get to the point where we feel legal action is required to defend ourselves, well, of course we'll do that. But I don't think I'm personally not in that position at the moment. So I'm focused on journalism. I'm trying to finish a book. So there's only so much time. And that's the beauty of the system is when you get attacked and smeared, you can get tied up and just in fighting these, long battles just for the just just for the sake of being able to talk you know and that's and and your opponents have infinite resources they can do whatever they want they can wait sure, but that's not what i'm suggesting obviously you should continue doing you know reporting but i'm saying um it, maybe it's time to create your own working group where people who do have time and do have the resources and do have you know the will to you know go after this information can actually do that you know well, okay, that's that's easier yeah. said than done. That's easier said than of course. done. <laughs> but thanks for the call. Thanks yeah, for the call. thank you. But thank you so much. Good. I mean, I think Ivana is suggesting, or uh, what? Uh, I don't. Is you? Do you want to call Ivana? Is that what I should call you? Oh, um, is suggesting a something that I mean, it's, it is probably a good idea at some point. I get that it's hard to to focus on, but. Just maybe, you know, you know like almost preemptively to make sure that we're protected. Um, so we should make a working group, guys, a board. We should do what they're doing. A disinformation one. I mean, it is scary, though. It is scary that this is happening. And um, I don't know what the, the response is. But uh, I, it is really scary that what just happened to PayPal happened. I mean, it's what PayPal just did to um, Mint Press and um, and um, Consortium News. And um, I think that, you know, what's going to happen is, as you said, Aaron, like with the exception of, you know, the way that like the free press is limited here in the United States, with the exception of, of Julian Assange, which is a huge one, it is usually more just through suppression, um, things like what PayPal is doing you know, uh, suppression in terms of uh, SEO, how findable things are, prop or not, all those things. So we should be on the lookout for those things because they are more subtle and insidious than the overt uh, criminalization of, of free press 
or overt censorship. But yeah, this does, the smearing of people does have a chilling effect and also gets these things uh, stigmatized and then people will engage less with them. It's a very scary moment. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so thanks, Ivana. Uh, Anthony. Hey, good morning. Oh, what happened to Anthony? All right, Anthony, come back and we'll let you back in. I'm not sure what happened. John. Uh, hey, guys. I'm um, happy to be here. Uh, and for the first time, uh, I actually have something to uh, offer. Um, it is a, uh, you know, in the uh, tradition of, of uh, Nina Jankowitz and uh, uh, Lynn, I forget his name, Lynn Manuel. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so I was so inspired by uh, seeing uh, Nancy uh, together, you know, um, in Kiev that uh, I, I started writing this uh, as we were watching the show. Um, so my apologies to Petula Clark and all your listeners. Uh, Want to hear it? We're, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Open ears. Go. Uh, and again, I'm really sorry. I don't really have any musical ability. When you want war, but people don't want to go, just send Pelosi downtown. When no one wants war, just create a new Hitler. Then we will surely go downtown. Just make a propaganda and make it really pretty. Drag some bodies on the street and blame your enemy. How can you lose? The news media will help. You can forget all the Nazis and even WMDs. So go downtown. Blinken will make millions downtown. To the last Ukrainian downtown. Defense contractors cheer for you. Downtown, downtown. That's it. Wow, that's great, John. That was awesome. You should send that to us. Seriously, we're going to make a compilation. Yeah, if if somebody that actually has musical ability, uh, that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. We got to set up a, a website for that. But send it to us. Um, uh, you can email us on, right? You can send messages on this. I'm going to follow you now. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll email you a link. I'll I'll like post it on Google Drive or something. Great, thanks. Thanks so much, you guys. I, I'm uh, just inspired by all the work you guys do. Thanks again. Thanks. Thank you, John. Thank you. All right. From John to Johnson. Welcome, Johnson. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, Katie. That was great. Can you get closer to your phone? You're hard to. Johnson, you got to speak louder. Can you hear me? Yeah. I think you can, can you turn your headphones or not type of thing. Um, I'm yeah, I'm definitely not on my headphones. My Bluetooth is turned off. So Okay. Can't and are you speaking like, are you speaking right into your phone? Right into the phone. Right okay. into the phone. Or like there's nothing I can do. Should I just hang up? You can't hear me. <laughs> or yell, honestly. It's just hard to hear you. Okay. I'm just gonna go. It's it's good to be with you all. That was great. Sorry. We can hear you if you yell. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, basically, I mean, okay. I'm trying to work to get people more motivated about like sort of these these domestic policies, right? So, 
So Biden hinted that he was interested in some student loan debt cancellation. Um, I sent, you know, I try to motivate people to, uh, you know, get together around this and sort of just email um, our Congress people. I'm in graduate school, so it, it wasn't that hard to get people to just like send a quick email or phone call to their representatives. But, you know, my Congress member is chairman of the House. Um, what is it? The chairman of the House uh, Armed Services Committee, you know, and he emailed me back and, he, and pretty much said, I don't care about student loan debt. Um, I posted this to a neighborhood forum. I wanted everyone in my neighborhood to kind of be aware that our congressman sort of is, is, is motivated by, you know, foreign domestic wars and not uh, domestic policy. And I got so much pushback. And I guess the question is just like, is this, you know, Congress has such a low approval rating and this person is so, he seems like just so obviously not interested in like the people that live in the district. <laughs> And like the pushback that I got from people who live around me was like real and like they were like very strongly supporting this person. And I'm just like wondering like, M, you know, is it hard to stay motivated? Do you ever feel like you're being gaslighted? Like, or do you ever feel like you're just, oh, oh maybe I'm wrong. And like all the other professional managerial people <laughs> who live in my neighborhood, like they know what's up and I, maybe I'm mistaken here. But does the question make sense? Well, look, it's very easy to feel confused and hopeless, but uh, that's just part of life. You know, there are many situations in which that kind of feeling will arise. But um, I mean, look, for me personally, do I ever feel as if I'm wrong? No, <laughs> I'm pretty confident. <laughs> I'm pretty confident in what I do. But, but, but look, you know, I have the advantage of like, this is my job. So I, I get so I, I have the time to do research and do all the things that most people can't do because they have, you know, to support themselves in, in other ways. And so it's hard to stay informed in that situation, especially when you're being bombarded by propaganda all the time. So that's what I would say is like, given that we all have limited time and resources, that it's like, it's like living in a blizzard, you know, if you're living in a blizzard all the time, you know, sometimes you, some snow is going to get through and you're going to get soaked. That, that, that's just what it is. You can't always defend yourself from propaganda. So I would just advise going easy on yourself, but ultimately trusting your own instincts. Yeah. Who's your congressperson who you wrote to? It's uh, Adam Smith. Yeah. So you're in Washington state and he, Adam Smith is like the head of the house armed services committee, pretty big war hawk and Russia gator. And so, yeah, of course, of course you're going to get that response. Well, yeah, yeah, thanks, Aaron. I appreciate you saying that because I was telling people in my neighborhood this very basic thing, and and they were just like, no, no, they're I guess they're blinded by you know the propaganda blizzard. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, like I'm like I feel like I'm not wrong here. I guess I'm just like reaching out for a bit of validation. <laughs> well, validation offered. You Grant. were totally validated. Granted, yeah. 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 Well, thanks. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Johnson. Thank you. Thank you. Let's take Anthony because somehow he got thrown off. So I'm going to go to Anthony and then we'll go in the order again. So let me just go find Anthony. Make next caller. Okay. Hi, Anthony. Hey, I appreciate it coming back to me. Thank you so much. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, well, you know, I can sympathize with the, the last caller who has a crazy 
uh, right-wing Democrat representative, but I actually have a squad member here locally, and I donated to them back when they got started out. But, you know, after Force the Vote, I was pretty much done with them. But now we've had even more horrible things that they've done, and this is supposed to be the best we've got. Who, who is uh, it? Uh, it's the one that's supposed to care about Palestine, but supposed to. Uh, keyword. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and anyway, now the whole Nina Turner, Chantel Brown, Progressive Caucus thing, they're all voting for weapons to Ukraine like daily. And this DHS disinfo governance board, they're not going to, none of them are going to say anything about it. So do you still think it's a good idea to elect progressives in the Democratic Party? I mean, Ed, I guess the question is what the priority is. I still think that they're better than the alternative. Um, but I don't know. It, it is depressing. Um, yeah. I, and, I, and I guess Rashida has, has voted better on certain things, right? In terms of foreign policy stuff. Uh, I mean, she's voting for the whole Ukraine war right now and LG, you know, sanctioned, not LGBT friendly countries, but, um, uh, oh, oh, I forgot where I was going. Um, to support progressives in the Democratic Party, it just seems like they're gonna. It's like you got. They, yeah, we agree with them on nine out of ten domestic economic issues, but you have to almost sell out all the foreign policy and half the civil liberties to get there with them. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not that exciting, and maybe this is a a, a cop bad answer. I don't think it's a cop bad answer, though. I think. Like agreeing with them at nine out of ten things is important, and they're not our saviors or our friends. So it's better, it's easier to get stuff. I mean, I, I guess the question is more of a priority: where, where what you prioritize, and whether you're going to de- de- devote yourself to electoral politics or not. Well, that's not even the question of elector. That's voting once every two years and maybe working for a campaign. But this is our how we interact with them in the two years in between. And especially, you know, people with uh, media platforms, you may encounter them or people that deal with them. So, yeah, just that's my thoughts. Thanks. Okay. Maybe I misunderstood the question, but um, what do you think, Aaron? You know, I. I've long thought that it's better than it's better than not to have progressives in Congress. Right, right. But um, yeah, I'll admit to especially the way the squad has gone and zero pushback on the proxy war in Ukraine. Ilhan Omar made a little bit of a stir, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's definitely dispiriting to see them be so uh, weak on yeah. war and imperialism and. Um, but the question is, what is going to get us? What is the quickest path to a genuine opposition party? Is it to let? Is it to no longer support Democrats and let Republicans just take over? When Republicans are, you know, overall, I think even worse than Democrats, given the the totality of their policies. I just, I, I, I can't advocate that. But I also will admit, I mean, I, you know, I advocated voting for Biden over Trump. But looking at that now, I mean, is that better for the world to have Biden in there, given what they're presiding over now? It's hard to make that case. It really is. I, I, I mean, to me, the overall 
balance sheet of who was more likely to kill less people. I just figured it was Biden, as many people as Biden would, would, would kill. But I don't I, I can't look at that anymore and say that that's the case. So I think it's a tough question. I, I personally am trying to stay out of these debates because I just see my I don't see it as my role. I'm not a political activist. I, I try to give people facts about the issues that are being distorted, you know, on the Ukraine war and Syria and anywhere else that I can feel I can be useful. And so I don't, in terms of giving political advice, I just don't see it as my, as my place. So I'm, I'm trying to avoid doing that now because frankly, you know, advocating a vote for Biden, especially, you know, on the grounds that he would do things like return to the Iran nuclear deal which he didn't, but that was embarrassing for me. And that was humbling. So I just don't think I'm in a position right now to give that kind of political opinion, but I definitely think it's, I, I, I just, I'm also not going to just, I, I don't think it's something to just, uh, to be cavalier about and just say that because the squad sold out on one thing means we shouldn't support them at all because we have to think about the consequences of our actions and the consequences of not voting for, any Democrats will be to put more Republicans in power. And that, you know, that's, there are, I, there's a symbolic victory there in turning your back on corporate Democrats, but you also have to think about the real world, the real world consequences of that too. And I, again, maybe that ultimately puts us on a faster path to a legit opposition party. I don't know, to let the neoliberal Democrats cr- implode, but I'm not sure. I, I, I think it should be debated. That's, that's my take. Good take. Right. I like it. Um, I basically agree with everything you said. Okay. Uh, Tyler. Hi, guys. Love your show. Wonderful discussion this morning. Um, so my primary question is is about uh, uh, Hudson and uh, your amazing interview with him. Thank you for doing that. Um, but this, this question of electoralism has kind of caught my attention, and uh, I love the way the conversation goes on this app. Um, so real quickly... Um, what do you see as a proper response to those in the left media commentary space who say that this perspective of really not wanting to support these people who don't actually agree with us on a lot of the, a lot of things is, is, is what they call political nihilism. My own, uh, response to that is that, you know, it's, it's great to have progressives in positions of power, but I also don't see the point if they're not going to actually do progressive policies, um, that was sort of the, the whole cultural, like these, these are our team and this is our people in our quote unquote resistance or whatever. Like that's all pretty, like that's all rhetoric and pretty meaningless to me. And so my own, uh, response, I do have people ask me, so like, what should you do? Well, you know, like, what do you, what, 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 you know, what do you have a response? Like, like how electorally will you behave in response to this? Right. And, you know, my own idea is one of like, well, you know, we could, try to create some kind of petition or movement or band together kind of group and say, no, we will not support progressive candidates or any candidates until and until after they do something big and progressive, like you could end the war, right? You know, you could, you could, you could push for peace negotiations. You could uh, pass Medicare for all. You could uh, publicly fund, uh, you know, publicly fund education, universities, and do student debt cancellation. You could do something as minor as decriminalize weed, right? Like you could do something, but until you do something, I'm not voting for anybody who hasn't done it yet. I'm not voting. I'm not donating to anybody who hasn't done it yet. I'm not 
participating in this electoral process. Because honestly, you know, an earlier caller made the point that these squad members agree with us on nine out of 10 issues. And I just, if they're going to accomplish precisely zero of those issues, I honestly kind of have to disagree with the, I mean, if they agree with us rhetorically, it's meaningless to me, right? My only question there is, are you, are we being fair to them? Are there limits on what they can actually accomplish? They can't single-handedly end the war in Ukraine. Now, what they could do is do something, is do something, at least gesturing towards trying to end the war in Ukraine, which they're not doing. So, you know, I think we should be reasonable in our demands. But yeah, look, I, the, the, the broader point you're raising about basically voters using their leverage and saying, if you're not going to get behind these certain policies, we're just not going to support you in good, because we can't in good conscience. That's, that, that's an argument that people like Jimmy Dore have been making. And I think that's totally worth debating and discussing as I said, I, I don't see it as my place to issue judgments on this stuff, in part because I don't really, especially because I had disillusion I've been with the squad. I just don't, I don't know the answer, but I think I, I encourage debate on that topic. I think it's important. Okay. Um, and, and this ties directly into my broader question about Hudson. Um, what, what he was talking about is some real serious, like, core of Western society and civilization kinds of issues, right? Like the, the long-term fallout of the insane mass murderous policies that, that he's, you know, so, so brilliantly elucidating here. Um, it, 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 the long-term fallout is, is Western civilizational collapse. And like, it's, it's an extreme kind of term to put it in. But honestly, when you look at the, the broader implications of the points he's making, like, I don't see a, a resolution or conclusion to these issues other than that, unless we change course pretty dramatically pretty soon. Um, and so this goes to, to t- tying into the point about electoralism. It's like, well, if electoralism isn't going to solve that problem, then I'm not really interested in electoralism because I kind of have to like, worry about survival here and obviously like the existing power structures aren't concerned with that in any way and so i i wonder if we are are at the point now of trying to of 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 thinking it reasonable to try to mobilize some greater sort of resistance to our civilizational direction just based on the fact that like many of us may not see the end of this uh, if, if we don't do something drastically different. So I'm wondering if like uh, Republicans have this idea for a long time, they don't want their tax dollars going to abortion. Right. And they've passed bills to that effect. And I'm like, great, we should do the same thing. And just everyone who's anti-war refuse to pay their taxes until the wars end, because we don't want to spend billions of dollars of our tax money on killing people for no reason, for example, or, you know, um, you could, you could refuse to, uh, we, we could have a mass mobilizing movement to refuse to participate in any electoralism of any kind until the Patriot Act is repealed, for example, right? Uh, just, just, I, I'm wondering if it is time for some more serious, broader kind of mass mobilization because of the fact that the issues quite frankly are that serious at this point. And I'll, 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 let, I'll let you guys discuss. This yeah, look here, here. I mean, this is, this is the whole point. This is, uh, these are the issues that we should be discussing. I said, you know, I said like, uh, let's do it. And, 
you know, again, I, I guess, I guess, uh, I'm sort of, I'm sort of, I'm sort of looking for some perspective on like what would be the the primary issue to mobilize around, and what would be the form of popular resistance that you guys think, in your own opinions, would be most effective and able to 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 generate broad popular support. I I can't answer that question because I'm not a, I'm just not a political organizer. Yeah, I'm not. I, I would defer. The, so I'd love to hear what Christian Smalls has to say and people like that who actually have done the organizing work on the ground. What, what do they want us to focus on? You know, I have my own I have my own areas of focus. Like I'd love to see the proxy war in Ukraine over. I'd love to see sanctions lifted on countries around the world that are being strangulated right now by U.S. economic warfare. But I don't know. I don't want you know, it's it should this should come from a genuine democratic movement that is organized and has assemblies and it'd be wonderful if we were in that situation, the people who we should lead it are the people who are doing the political organizing work already across the country. Yeah, I do. I do think one, one key element to, to generating support for any of the things we're talking about is sort of cutting through the mainstream propaganda. And that's what you guys do for a living and you do it spectacularly. So thank you. I'm well, thank you. In. <laughs> thanks, thanks a lot. Okay. Carmine. Hello. And Carmine, if you're there, there's a mute button in the bottom right. It's a microphone button. You have to press to unmute yourself. Okay. There you go. All right. Katie and Aaron, good to be on. Uh, I'm in Napoli, Italy, and I had the uh, good fortune of a friend uh, just uh, staying up with me from Rio de Janeiro. He's a recent uh, PhD student. student and just got his PhD in political economics. And yesterday he received an email from one of his professors that Victoria Newland is in Brazil meeting with high level military personnel. Wow. Yes. And uh, very interesting. There's a election coming up in October uh, with probably Lula versus Bolsonaro. So I think that's something to put on your radar. For for Brazil, yeah, yeah, for Brazil. yeah, yeah. And one other thing, uh, I enjoyed uh, your Michael Hudson piece, uh, uh, and uh, also uh, Vijay Prasad. And I would suggest that uh, if you could get in touch with uh, Pepe Escobar, he's a uh, Brazilian economist who uh, speaks uh, multiple languages and writes in multiple languages, and has been on the scene for twenty, thirty years. Uh, well, thank you for yeah. the suggestion. Thanks, Carmen. All right. Okay. And Victoria Newland tidbit, huh? Yeah. Yeah. You know, good things are coming if Victoria Newland's in your country. Yeah. Especially ahead of an election. All right. Adam, you're on. Hi, yeah. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. All right. Thanks for having me on, Aaron and Katie and everyone else. Um, so I'm. Uh, thank you for your work. I I've been following you for ages now, and just uh, always um, also good to um, listen to a show which has uh, lots of humor, including the political analysis. You guys are really funny. So thanks for that. Thanks. But um, <laughs> on to um, the question. So um, I was born in Prague in Eastern Europe, and um, 
Czech people don't like to hear that it's Eastern Europe, but it definitely is Eastern Europe. Either way, um, we've been seeing around like in Poland, also in Ukraine, but in Poland and also in Czech Republic and Slovakia, attacks on Soviet monuments. And it was even preceding the um, the, the the invasion, the Russian invasion to Ukraine. You know, it was largely also a reaction to, uh, I mean, we, we know about Russophobia that was that sort of, you know, been around in Eastern Europe for ages, but it really escalated in 2014. So I was wondering, what is your reaction to people attacking spontaneously these Soviet time monuments, like either to war um, victims or to generals in Prague? There's a, a monument to uh, General Konyev. But also it's interesting because even the authorities in these countries, they um, contribute to the removal of these uh, monuments and these uh, commemorational plaques and whatnot. So is obviously linked to an ideological project that's going on currently um, because, you know, slamming communism and it's connected to the NED as well. You know, there's like a whole charity in the Czech Republic called um, the National Commemoration of the Crimes of Communism. Um, so, yeah, so I was just wondering if, if you if you noticed this recent, um, the reports of like these monuments being destroyed and removed and what is your reaction to that? And also, another question that I had was if you guys are planning going uh, on going to Ukraine in any time soon, as you did to on as you did as you went to uh, Syria. So yeah, thanks a lot. Well, yeah, I mean, my reaction is I Ukraine is a very divided country. You have people who loathe the Russian-speaking aspect and want to erase all traces of it. And hence the the fight over the monuments. It's um it's interesting too because Putin is not exactly a communist. I mean, he kind of you know and uh, and he, he I think he has a lot of contempt for Lenin. So it's just very interesting. And um, but overall, it's just again it, it, like this constant this divide over identity history. You have a, a component of the Ukrainian military which is neo Nazi and their predecessors collaborated with the Nazis and what the U S has done always so well, so effectively is whenever there's a division in a country like this, the U S exploits it for its own gain. And the result is always a country left in ruins. I mean, in Syria, it was something similar where there, you know, the, the Syrian dirty war was basically the U S getting behind sectarian death squads with a lot of money coming from Saudi Arabia and Qatar and tapping into, you know, the resentment in the largely rural areas of, of Syria that were Sunni, you know, and, you know, basically pitting, pitting Syrians against each other. The, the U.S. is so good at that. And I, I see a similar thing happening now inside Ukraine. And that's why you're seeing, you know, that's, you know, so, so the, 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 the destruction of monuments and replacing old monuments with new ones or with, with, with other ones, that's just all a big part of that. And as for going to Ukraine, yeah, I would love to go. I um, I think it's difficult to weigh in on the conflict in the way that I really want to weigh in without being there and seeing it for myself. But I'm working on a book right now, so it's it's a difficult. It's not really something I have the time to do. But I, as soon as I can, um, I I would love to go. And you know, luckily there are journalists right now on the ground, independent journalists on the ground, trying to get the facts out and what they're doing is very important and should be supported.
Yeah, absolutely. Um, sorry, Kate, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. I really hope that uh, you guys will get, get get an opportunity. Either one of you get an opportunity to go to Ukraine. Um, and and you're right. But I also um, there was I um, the the name of the journalist um, escapes me. The one who there was like um, there was like a scare of going on around Twitter that he was abducted by the Ukrainian secret service. Yeah, that's that's Gonzalo Lira. Yeah. yeah. Um, is is because I haven't seen anything new about him recently. I know I know that in the end, like it turned out that he was okay. But was he visited by the by the Ukrainian secret services or was he not? He was detained. Yeah, he was detained for a few days, and I don't think he's spoken exactly about what happened. But he is back now, and he's tweeting, and he's fine. If 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 you guys get to go, I hope nothing. Of that, <laughs> nothing like that happens to you. So yeah, <laughs> I hope so too. I share. I definitely share in that hope as well. All right. Thanks, Adam. Right, cheers. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Thank you. Okay. Let's see. Um, and we're gonna go with uh, Declan. Uh, okay. Not sure what happened with Declan. We'll go with John F. So, okay, what, what's happening with this? This is weird. Um, hold on. I keep doing take next call and it like moves the person. Um, um, are people leaving? Okay, well, Fern, welcome, Fern. What's your question? Hey, guys. Uh, just a general question. Since you guys work in the media field and you're consuming all this, uh, you know, radical news <laughs> compared to what's on CNN and stuff like that, how do you relate to other people who you might, you know, live with or uh, hang out around with? Maybe people, friends of friends, you know, who are not really in tune with it. They might say something and it's just like, to us, I mean, to me, it might like, it, it might trigger me if someone says like, Oh, Ukraine is just, they don't have Nazis or something like that. That's just insane. But yeah, like, how do you guys live with this? Or what do you guys do to uh, feel better? I have plenty of friends who don't agree with me at all in my views about issues like Ukraine. But, you know, our friendship is bigger than politics, you know, and not everything is about politics. Not everything, at least for me. I mean, for for some people, it's everything, but for me, not not everything can be, you know, reduced to politics. And so some things are, you know, so friends are people that I share memories with and jokes and all kinds of experiences. And so I just, whatever differences we have, it's just what, it's just what it is. It's, it's, it's a difference on something that's outside of us, that's external to us and that we can't even control. So I, um, it's, it's, it's awkward sometimes. I mean, during Russiagate, I lost a couple of people I was friendly with in media uh, because they were not down with me challenging the dumbest conspiracy theory of all time, which is that Trump is a Russian agent. But, you know, but but whatever. I mean, that's that's just how it is. And but uh, I, I just try not to take I mean, I take the work I do very seriously, but I don't take myself too seriously. And uh, I, I think uh, I think that makes navigating politics easier because otherwise you're going to get just so consumed emotionally with things that are far out of your control, you know. 
So that's what I try to think about is like, what's, what am I in control of and what do I, what am I in a position to influence? And do I really want to get emotionally tied up in things that are far out of my control, you know, but you know, everyone's got their own individual situation, you know, and sometimes, yeah, some, some people you have to let them go. You know, uh, I know plenty of people who have cut off people that are not down with their political views and that, that that's totally that's totally natural. It happens. But I try to I try to separate myself from politics in my personal life as much as I can. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Try not to get triggered. <laughs> no, Easy yeah. And done, but I I try not to. It's just it's kind of like, you know, boils inside. It's like, Ugh, you yeah. know, I hear you. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. Thanks. You too. Okay, uh, Hussein. Uh, whoops. Uh, no, Martin. I don't know what's happening. Martin. Hi, guys. Uh, thank you for your show and taking from uh, taking my call as well. Uh, the question I had was: uh, I, I'm not sure if you guys have been aware of the trend happening in uh, in Sweden recently when it comes to the discussion around NATO, uh, where uh, the politicians have just straight out come out and said that they believe that, that there's no need for any referendum or any discussion at all uh, when it comes to applica- uh, applying to the NATO alliance. Uh, and I feel like I'm, I'm 40 years old, so I've seen, like, I, I was in my late teens uh, when, I, when the Iraq war and 9-11 happened and everything that followed, where we had to give up our rights to keep us, uh, our freedom. And now it seems like, as pretty much Mark Twain said, I, I'm not a big believer in electoral uh, system to begin with, but as Mark Twain said, I believe that if our votes mattered, then it would be illegal uh, to vote. So it seems like we are actually moving towards that direction, that they're actually going to remove that electoral system altogether to keep our democracy. So what can we do to like, and it doesn't, uh, I have friends in Sweden and they don't, they like, when they talk to people and people seem to be like open to this. And they're just uh, like the information that they're putting out is that, oh, Russia may actually influence the referendum and therefore we can't let people decide. So, which is stupid on his face because they have pretty much removed all Russian media in Europe altogether. So they have no influence at all in EU. So I wanted to hear from you guys how we can, I don't know, either resist or wake up people to the fact that they're removing our rights, uh, which I feel is kind of weird that people are not more woke about when it comes, when we have all experienced what happened after 9-11. Yeah, it's depressing that people haven't taken that lesson more to heart. Not sure if that answered your question at all, but... Yeah, look, we live in a very sophisticated propaganda system. It's so it works so well because no one's telling anyone what to say, but yet the message is just hammered into people every day because of the uniformity of media. 
and a media that system that is designed to reward conformity so that if you ask the right if you ask the wrong questions if you do your job as a skeptic you'll be you'll be weeded out and so it leads to a very sophisticated and effective propaganda system where people are just you know conditioned to uh, accept policies that go against their own rights and their own interests and um, how to organize against all that I, I don't know all we can do is to the best of our own abilities, be skeptical, be, be vocal, you know, try to get the truth out as, as we see it. And, you know, uh, beyond that, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Uh, thank you for your thoughts. And uh, as, as always keep on fighting and, and hopefully you will get more support from others as well over time. Amen. I hear that. <laughs> Thanks Martin. Thank you. thank you. Bye. Bye. Let me try to get some of the people who got cut off before. So that would be um, Hussein. Make next caller. Hi, Hussein. Hey, Katie. Hey. How are you? I just I wanted um, I wanted advice. Um, so I have like a one year old. How do I? What are some core tenets, like Jewish tenets, that I raise? this joyous Jewish bundle I've created. Like, do I just take her to temple and be like, here's my kid. I want rabbi to teach her stuff. Or do I just read her to myself? Like, how did you do it when you were growing up? Or how do you raise your kid? Like, Are you Jewish, you say? Am I Jewish? Um, I'm Islamic in a sense. So, so it's, why, it's so kind of the same. So, but, so why do you want to raise your kid Jewish? Aaron, Aaron, this is for Katie. I need Katie's advice. But oh, okay. Aaron is a fellow member of the tribe. Oh, he is. I didn't. I didn't know that. Okay, yes. I thought he, Aaron was like Catholic or something. Are you no, Catholic, Aaron? But it. But I would ask you that too. I mean, I, I mean, there's. I wasn't raised at all religious. My Jewish identity is very cultural, political. You can send them to a <laughs> camp called Camp Kinderland, which I highly. Camp Kinderland. Yeah, um, and the value that I like that's Jewish, which is not like you know, it's not like Jews have monopoly on it. It's just. A, particular Jewish like framing of it is tikkun olam to repair the world. That's what it means. Mm -hmm. So there's uh, that nice. justice tradition, but, but w w I'm, I am curious, are you raising your kid as, um, um, multi-faith or what? Yeah. Multi-faith. Yes. That's why I need that other perspective right. of, yeah. I think I got the Islamic part covered because right. I was raised in it perfectly fine. Yeah. But the Jewish thing is her other half, and I want her to experience at least until she's thirteen, and then she can be whatever right. she decides she wants to be. Like until well, her butt mitzvah, how do I get her to like pray the way they do, like the whole actual thing? Do I oh, just I take her to temple? Pray. I'm a god. I'm a fairly godless Jew. <laughs> um, oh, but yeah, okay. what, what about the mom or the, wherever the Jewish half comes from? Um, they're like on and off, so I don't need that inconsistency okay. in her specific life. So we we kind of debate on and off about that. I need her to like specifically until she's thirteen be uh, trained in her Jewish faith, and then I'll teach her her Islamic faith, which is very close, right. or it can be close to a certain extent. So I need like someone who knows way more about the Jewish tradition than her mother, in a sense, or right. understands it. So I can. So she needs to keep these tenants until she's 13 and then she could be as free as she'd like. Right. Yeah. I would look for maybe uh, if you want to make it religious, then look for some reformed 
Jewish stuff. I'm not sure, but for the cultural stuff, definitely. Uh, I got some good movies to recommend and Senator Camp Kinderland. Okay. Yeah. Hey. I will take the movies. I'll definitely write. Like if you can, I would love to write down some movies where she all can right. watch and like all that cool stuff. Right. But if you're in the New York or the tri-state area, look into Camp Kinderland. K-I-N-D-E-R-L-A-N-D. All right. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I'll definitely do that. That's all. Okay. Thank you. Sure. All righty. Let's see. Um, so we got Hussein and then someone else. I think Kadima was also. So I'm going to make Kadima the next speaker and then we'll go in order. Hi, Kadima. And you just have to unmute yourself. There you go. Hi. Hi. Hi, Katie. Hi, Aaron. First time, long time. Thanks. All right. Um, so what I want to, what I just want to say is, so I've been listening to you guys for about maybe since, well, Aaron mainly since like the pandemic started. Um, I started listening to him and Max. So um, I was like one of those guys, you know, as like a pseudo like Trump supporter because oh. the left went crazy and it kind of really pushed me away. And then I realized like all those guys on the right are really like super racist. Um, they don't really like my kind of people, you know, from the picture and stuff. Um, but what I want to know is, I agree with like what most of you guys say, but the communism thing, bro, I don't know. I don't really like that so much. I don't want to, I just want to know like why you guys are so interested in it and like, you know, um, it's all like, like the killing and all the dead people. Uh, I don't really understand, you know, but the whole communism thing. Why it's so attractive to like uh, people on the left? Well, there's so, dead people killing it. I mean, the dead people killing, I don't think is communist, but I mean, that's a huge debate because there's definitely dead people and killing and every other political ideology as it's been practiced. Um, uh, Oh, you know, my dad always told me that the best argument against communism is just to let people live under it for a while. So, yeah. Did he, know. did he live under it? Uh, nah. Oh. <laughs> Look, my, uh, my father and my uncle, uh, grew up under Stalin in, uh, in Hungary and mm-hmm. they didn't have, they didn't have very nice things to say about it. And they, and they fled, uh, Hungary because, of Soviet occupation. So um, there, of course, there's, I mean, uh, Stalin especially has a massive death toll on his hands. I personally, I've never talked about communism publicly. I'm not, I don't really identify politically in any way, except for I, what I do know is I'm not a, I don't think this system is working very well either. So yeah. that's, I that's feel like my, a political that's my, Martian, man. Say it again. Political I feel Martian. like a polit. Yeah. I feel like everyone hates me. No, no one hates you. No, 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 no. no that's not. That's when not. I the say everyone. Time. I mean, like on the left and on the right. I, I don't think I agree a hundred percent with anyone. Oh uh, well, hey, that's listen. Uh, that that is a very uh, common experience. A lot of people feel politically homeless, and it's difficult. You know, like where I come from is like I'm just trying to keep an open mind. Is this current system working well for the majority of humanity? No. It's a disaster. I mean, and it's a scandal that people can be so obscenely wealthy 
while others could lack the basics that they need. So that's a sign you of the just system. spend $44 billion on a fucking website, bro. There we go. And there we go. Exactly. Exactly. So um, does that mean communism is the answer? No. But like all I know is that this current system doesn't work and we need something different. And the idea of society's resources being used for the benefit of all of society, not just in the interests of a small group of people. I mean, I'm down with that. And if that's communist, then, you know, call me a communist. But I mean, what, what I know is that this current system doesn't work. And, and, and that's the place that I start from. <clears throat> yeah. But also you don't have to be, have the exact same views as people to share, you know, some like the anti-war movement. We have to have a, rope, a big anti-war movement. What I don't want to be alone, Katie. Sorry? I don't want to be alone. <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't have to be alone. There are lots of people in this movement who are not communists. Okay. Okay. Well, I think the main problem in the, this whole thing well, with the American empire is like the money. The money, man. Money is like water. It just finds a way, you know? We need to like reform. Yeah. I hear that. Anyways, um, that's pretty much it. So next Monday, I suppose, uh, God willing, I just want to say God bless everyone here on the stream. Um, even if you're not religious, uh, hope you guys have a good day, good week, uh, good month, I guess. Thanks very much. Thanks. And, and God bless you too. All right. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Thanks. Alex, you're up. Hey guys, um, love your show. I appreciate what you do every week. Uh, watching the the shows that we don't have to, so um, it's much appreciated work. And I appreciate the uh, you know the therapy sessions that you guys have on Mondays and Fridays. And um, I think I speak for a lot of people when I say it really helps. You know our um, our mental state just knowing that there's other folks out there that are you know not trying to win an argument or be a part of a tribe, but just trying to raise consciousness and find out what's going on. Um, so I just wanted to get your take. I'm a, I support democracy. Now I've been a, a donor to the program for a monthly donor to the program for a long time. However, some of their coverage has been, um, disappointing in a few areas. They still offer some like incredible, um, reporting. There's reporting that you, that I get at democracy now that you just can't get anywhere else, but they've been a little bit, um, too, I don't know, status quo with the, uh, with, with, with COVID. And, um, they called into question like Joe Rogan, uh, maybe like a month or two ago with, um, with his, um, whole ivermectin and spreading of disinformation, which is like, okay. But I think that there needs to be like a broader discussion. And I think they've also been a little bit too kind of pro pro, uh, pharma. And I am a person that's, you know, I mask everywhere I go. I'm triple jabbed, like, you know, but I also don't want to control people and understand that, you know, there's, you know, if somebody's, uh, hesitant to get a vaccine from the government that's, or, you know, from, from government or wants government control, I, I get where they're coming from. And I think that there needs to be a a broader discussion there, but I wanted to know as a consumer, media consumer, Aaron, maybe you don't want to comment on this because I know you used to work with them, but like, uh, Katie or Aaron, like as a media consumer, what's your take on democracy now? Um, and thanks so much. Oh, look, I- I'm happy to comment on it. I- I've, 
I've I've been public about some of my concerns about the direction that Dan has gone in since I left. Um, I think now, thankfully, not in all cases, as you say, you know, uh, Dan still does a great job on some issues, uh, but on certain other issues, especially the ones that I care about, like foreign policy, um, I think they've turned their back on what, what, what made them great. Their whole thing was being skeptical of the national security state and going where the silence is. And I think on, you look at Russia Gate, Syria, the Ukraine proxy war, uh, they've been kind of uh, duped several times now, bringing on neocon voices, bringing on people like Adrian Zenz, who's like a, who's a complete fraud uh, when it comes to China. Uh, when it comes to Syria, excluding all dissenting voices, they've uh, ignored a lot of really critically important stories like the OPCW cover-up scandal. And, you know, many, you know, the criticism of them is, 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 I haven't said this, but I've heard others say it, that sometimes they, they look like an MSNBC show, except on cable, except with cable access production values. And I think that's unfortunately sometimes a fair criticism. And I wish that they would remember what made them great and made them noble because I, I, I've worked with a lot of the people who are still there. And I know they're, they're noble people. They are. And really who believe in, the values that the show was founded on. And I just hope that they, re, that on the issues where they've lost it, I hope that they rediscover it. Yeah. And I, I think it's important and I appreciate that both of you are saying that they still do good work because sometimes I get frustrated at, although I think some of their work has been disappointing. They're still a great source for lots of, of coverage, lots of news, lots of headlines and I think it's frustrating that we see sometimes people just like cancel certain entities and we just can't really afford to do that. We don't have enough good media to do that. So I think it's important to be critical and also know that, you know, they're also are good sorts of information. That's my hot take. Having not worked there. Um, okay, great. So let's take our next caller. Um, Amanda. Good morning. I hope you're doing well this morning. Good morning. Um, so I wanted to comment. Um, I used to be an elected official, so I kind of wanted to comment on the um, issue of electoralism because we can vote in progressives and then they might feel like they can't do anything because it's it was overwhelming for me when it was a board of five people and I was one of five. I can't imagine trying to learn a system when it's as many as it is when you're in Congress and the House of Representatives. And the staffs are often held over from prior elected officials, so you might be relying on somebody who's used different policy for two years. So there's a lot to be said for two years is not very long to learn it, and it's really easy to get co-opted into it. When I was first elected, I was almost always one against four in terms of voting. That's the other hard thing. How many people voted against the Patriot Act? One. She spoke up. Thank goodness, Barbara Lee, right? When the Patriot Act was yeah. passed, she voted against. Yeah, it. she. 
she voted against the authorization for military force for the war on terror. Thank you for that clarification, Aaron. I yeah. appreciate that. But but that we need to be electing people that are progressive and willing to be a lone person. I mean, Joe Manchin's a lone person. Right. Why can't we find somebody that's on the progressive side who's willing to do those kinds of things, even if they fail? It's it's the the lack of making an attempt to speak up. Because it took eight years for my board to make changes to the point where it, all five board members today completely agree with the things that I was voting to stop have happening. They were all on. The, they would have voted against it at the time. So, so things do change. It just takes time. So you have to have patience in a in a situation that I'm imagining is a lot of urgency, right? Everything's mm. always got to be done yesterday. You've got pages and pages and pages to read. I mean, there's a lot to do. So how can you possibly be thoughtful about some of how do we stand up and fight back? Because it's not a fun position to be in, to be like one or two people out of 500. I mean, you feel like you're a fart in the wind, right? Uh, absolutely. absolutely. And But I, I think you make a great point. We need our Joe Manchin. Who will be right. the progressive yeah. Joe Manchin? And and as a person who was that one of four, it, it is critical that when we have a representative that does stand up and stand out and say things like that, that we give them as much support as they can possibly get. It makes it so much easier yeah. when you're fighting an uphill battle to just know, even if it's not a majority, that there's a lot of people out there that support you. It saved yes. me in my first several years. So. Huh, huh. Huh. Uh, in what in what capacity did you serve? Um, I was a director on a community services district board, kind of water, sewer, fire department, oh, oh. parks and rec. Yeah. Huh. Um, well, and it's probably at that level where you at least have more of a chance of getting something positive done, right, than in, than in Congress? It, yes, absolutely. That's why I didn't run for Congress. It's why I wanted to do something local because that's where you can actually make a difference. But yeah. the people that are making a difference in Congress right now are the ones that have been there forever or the ones that are willing to stand up and be the lonely wart like Joe Manchin. I mean, yeah, yeah. And the thing is, Joe Manchin can do it because he has all of the financial support in the world. He has right. you know, plenty of oligarchs funding him. So he can he can do that. And he'll be handsomely rewarded. And also, he has the added advantage of there are probably other senators who agree with him, but just don't have the uh, guts to be honest about their views. So he's also doing, you know, by proxy, their job for them by holding up progressive legislation. So he's in a great position. And a progressive would be in a much different situation because they wouldn't have a lot of oligarchs promising them, you know, uh, you know, like giving them a lot of money and then promising lucrative gigs after they do their job and, and retire to the private sector. It would seem like it would seem like Bernie Sanders could do it, but he doesn't seem to be willing to do it. Yeah, Bernie talked about a revolution. I don't think he really wanted a revolution. I mean, he wanted some great things, yeah. and he's a what he did was historic, and he deserves all the praise in the world. But his commitment to taking his rhetoric to its logical conclusion i don't think he was quite prepared for that and that's fine you know look it's um mm -hmm. there's a long record of what happens when you have genuine integrity in the u.s is you get killed like look at dr <laughs> king yeah. look mm -hmm. at malcolm x 
Fred Hampton, you know, they, they, when you're a real threat to the system, they will threaten you. And so I totally understand why someone does not want to be in the position of being like a, a revolutionary leader. But if you've got a bunch of people around you, if you've got a posse, if you've got an entourage of folks that are that are willing to push yeah. back with you and push back on the people yep. that are beating you up. I mean, there was a political cartoon in my local paper one time when I really got beat up at a certain meeting. And that kept me mm. going because it ma- made me see there's there are people. It's not just the loudest ones who are pushing back that that are out there. There's people out mm. there that want to be helpful, like including most of the people that call in and talk to you guys yep. who want to do things that w- are helpful for moving things forward. Yeah. And look, there's such an opportunity. The reason Trump won the primary, I mean, in 2016 was, you know, he was presenting himself as being anti-establishment. That was his fundamental con. It was a complete con. He didn't represent a genuine threat to the establishment in, in any meaningful way. But rhetorically, that's what he posed as. And it worked. And he uh, he was able to win the presidency, not just the primary, mm-hmm. but the presidency too. So that speaks to that there, there is a genuine anti-establishment sentiment in the country that could be tapped if someone on the left would, would be willing to go all the way with it and basically reject Democratic Party pieties and be willing to challenge them. But so far, you know, Bernie was the closest we had to that. And he was close, but... Now he is sort of taking his position as being, for, you know, entrenched inside the party. And it looks like we'll need someone else to fill that role if ever there will be one. Thank you so much. I appreciate your thoughts. Did you have anything, Katie? No. About that? It's interesting what you said. And, and I think it's uh, I'm glad that you brought up the issues that you brought up. And I think it's true that we do have to give credit when credit's due when, when, the right, when something good is done. Thank you, you guys. I appreciate your thoughts this morning. Thanks, Amanda. Okay, John. Hello, John. Just unmute yourself by hitting the mic icon at the bottom right of your screen. And if you can't do that, we're going to go with Domla and then we'll come back. Oh. Okay, John. Yes. Hello. Can you all hear me? Yeah. I just call in to say I like your show. How's you okay. doing today? Good, you? Uh, not too bad, thank you. Not too bad. Uh, I guess my question will be easy and it won't be too too difficult. Forgive me for already being um, asked and answered. Um, if Olaf Scholz ever finds his balls to put back in his empty sack, can Germany reverse course before the economic collapse? <laughs> Good question. It's a good question. If who and finds their balls, I didn't hear you. The the Chancellor of Germany, Schultz. Oh, Schultz, yeah. yeah. Okay. He's coming That's to a great question. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I mean, uh, Europe has turned itself into a just a, 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 a series of uh, supplicants. They, they're just, and they're, it's following mm. U.S. orders and it means sacrificing your own economies for a a NATO proxy war. And um, I don't know what the calculation is. I guess they're, they're bargaining that, or they're wagering that people will not rise up against higher gas prices and higher food prices as a result of this proxy war and won't threaten them in power. But 
I mm-hmm. don't know how safe a bet that is because I think I think there's a lot of discontent already and it's going to get worse. So I think popular opinion will be that if Germany, you know, stops following U.S. orders, it will come from yeah. pressure from below. And also from the business community, which is very divided inside Germany. And there are people who want closer ties to Russia because, you know, Russian energy helps power the economy. And so they don't want to be sacrificing their economy for the NATO proxy war. So, so we'll see. I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in Europe. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be really interesting. Um, one thing I know, and I don't know a lot about a lot, but uh, starvation is usually a good incentive for chaos and you can't really control chaos. <laughs> yes, it is. It, it's sad to say <laughs> that, but that's, you're absolutely right. Well, thanks again, um, and I really do help. Uh, appreciate you guys' work. You're a great helper, and uh, thanks for all your work you guys do, mate. Hope you keep striving. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. No uh, Can I get one more plug-in? Sure. Um, I'm going to be in a show in about three to four months. Uh, it's called America's Got Disinformation. I'm going to do a lovely little ditty with Nina Jankovic. Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. Looking forward to that. Looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah. Our first song is going to be Coup. What Coup? <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds right. good. Take care, guys. Have a good one. All right. Cheers. Bye. Okay. Damla. Hello. Just unmute yourself. Okay. There you go. Hello. Hi. <laughs> I want to, first of all, virtually hug you both with all the love and respect that I can possibly convey. Um, you and all the media that you associate with are absolutely priceless voices. And I want to tell you that you're both appreciated from all far away from Turkey. And oh. your courage, humor and compassion and energy. I mean, thank you so much for being who you are and doing everything that you do. Thank you. So, uh, um, so maybe this will be a sort of an update from the eyes of a spectator, uh, from a person, from a country, uh, which is in both Europe and Asia and is technically in the Middle East as well, in Turkey. Um, I want to briefly talk about this um, concerning loss of international solidarity here with what is called the identity politics or intersectionality in the folks in the US. I mean, um, the, the Western discourse, even in its most benign forms, let's say, is still heavily uh, dominant in the rest of the world. For instance, I'm an academic who studies and teaches postcolonial literature. And finally enough, other than Said and Spivak, all that we are recommended is the postcolonial theories from the Western scholars, uh, rather than an African or South American scholar, uh, for instance. So um, in politically active groups and in intellectual circles, we somehow import the US political discourse to our own politics. And it creates all, all sorts of issues like white feminism, but that's uh, another issue. But now um, after this deep silence in the face of the Ukraine reality, those people that we thought uh, we were in a sort of international solidarity for minority issues and trans rights and women uh, movement and suppression are nowhere to be found. And the ones whose voices are, are heard are out there whitewashing the white supremacists and hugging what Nazis. I mean, 
For instance, this so-called journalist who was so happy when uh, Gonzalo Lira vanished. Uh, I, I forgot her name. Um, I, I read her previous tweets and she is a trans activist and she was proud of this trans person uh, fighting in the Ukrainian army and celebrating their representation in that army without a drop of shame. Or the black movement who shook the world, world when the Black Lives Matter protests uh, started. For instance, personally, I was teaching a history of philosophy course during that time, and I canceled two weeks of readings. And I instead decided to teach about the history of black people and the colonial and racist rules of their struggles for my students to appreciate the importance of uh, this movement. So we feel absolutely betrayed by all of them. I mean, they poisoned the rules of a possible international solidarity for trans rights, um, feminist movement, or any sort of minority rights. Th this deep silence and lack of any presence is uh, very concerning. So I don't think uh, we'll be able to rehabilitate ourselves easily after this sort of a feeling of betrayal. And I feel like I'll be very cynical about even the possibility of an international solidarity of this sort from now on. I okay, th Damla, I, I, so Damla, if I've understood you correctly, are you saying that because of the support for a uh, you know neo-Nazi infiltrated Ukrainian military and the yeah. war, then that has undermined you know global solidarity around progressive issues? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, and. And the lack of any protests and any, 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 uh, I mean, you guys in the US still have the uh, possibility to protest, for instance. We don't ha have that freedom still in our country. We cannot mm. just get out there and protest for whatever we like, but they can and they do not. And this is a choice. So, this, uh, what do yeah. you think about this? I mean, are there some folks who are raising similar concerns in the U.S.? Because I hear literally nothing from them. There's a, there's a very small segment of the left right now uh, that is raising the issue of, I mean, how ridiculous it is that for Democrats to be to claim for for like for so long that they're really concerned about white supremacy and they you know they loathe insurrections like January sixth. But then they're supporting they're, they're supporting a Ukrainian military that has a neo-Nazi paramilitary force, the Azov Battalion, incorporated into its forces, and they've you know, all in the service of continuing a policy that began with a real insurrection, not just a three-hour riot, but a real coup in 2014 in Ukraine. So yeah, the hypocrisy is crazy. It gives a complete lie to Democrats' supposed priorities and concern for white supremacy. And, you know, even when it's been known that white supremacists in the U.S. have trained with the Azov Battalion and they've actually even some of them have even come back and been indicted for, you know, taking part in criminal activity. And the uh, the gunman who killed all those Muslim worshipers in New Zealand, the oh. Christchurch massacre, he had Azov Battalion insignia mm. on his yeah. clothing. But all that's just buried under the rug. Like the New York Times for example, now won't even refer anymore to Azov as neo-Nazi. They'll just call them <laughs> they'll just call them right wing or far right, or they won't even say anything at all. Recently, the, the, the Times just described them as a unit incorporated into the Ukrainian military, not even mentioning right wing anymore. 
So yeah, but that, that's New York Times. I mean, I, I'm I'm uh, addressing yeah. the, the the left uh, politically active people in the U.S. who were talking about intersectionality and international yeah. solidarity about minority issues. Why? Where yeah. are they? Why it's a great question. Are, it's a great question. It's a really good question. A lot of people have been duped. I think. I mean, uh, because it creates this conflict in our in ourselves. On the one hand, we feel betrayed, and on the other hand, we feel guilty for feeling like that. So you understand? Mm -hmm. We still cannot direct our political, uh, spiritual uh, way in a meaningful way. I, I feel in huge conflict, <laughs> and I really need to hear from them. Yeah. Well, uh, listen, you you've raised some real. You've raised some really important concerns. Where is the left on this? And we have the exact same question. So, Demo, thanks a lot for yeah, calling yeah. and sharing Thank that. You. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for the support. Yeah. All right. Well, that was another great edition of Useful Idiots on Colin. Thanks to everyone who tuned in today. It's great to yeah. see such a big turnout. Yeah. It's great. And we will see you next week. And keep the faith, everyone. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.